Welcome back to the Evidence-Based Rheumatology Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Putman, and this is episode 45, the comparative effectiveness of abatacept, rituximab, tocilizumab, and TNF inhibitor biologics in rheumatoid arthritis, results from the nationwide Swedish registrar. I have been talking about a lot of randomized controlled trials, focusing in the RA space, and I think it's time that we took a step back and looked at some real-world data. Now, I'm always skeptical of real-world data. I feel like it's often a euphemism for poorly collected data, poorly collected data that is biased. And frankly, when reading these papers, that's often what I find. Now, where do we get our real-world data from? There's a couple places where the real world appears to be overrepresented. One of them is, of course, our good old Olmstead County, Minnesota. What's going on in Olmstead County, Minnesota? Well, that's where the Mayo Clinic is, and they just so happen to run a lot of studies there. So the good folks who live there have a somewhat outsized impact on our understanding of various disease processes. Another one is Framingham, Massachusetts. Not so much in rheumatology, but in cardiology at least. The good people of Framingham have had a very large impact on how we view cardiovascular disease. At the Vasculitis Investigators last year, there was a funny conversation between, I believe it was Peter Merkel and some of the French group, where he joked that every single person in France with vasculitis is in one of their studies. One of the French folks, I think it was Dr. Puchal, responded that that wasn't entirely true. Most patients were in two of their studies, <laughs> the kicker being that Main Ritz in one and Main Ritz in two enrolled many of the same patients. Now, there's one other location that has an outsized impact on our information, and that is Sweden. Now, the good doctors in Sweden have a couple things going for them. One, they seem to be really good at making registry studies. In addition to having a national EMR, they have a bunch of prospective cohort studies. Now, the cohort we're talking about today, it was based on the Swedish Rheumatology Quality Register, which is a pretty good project. They follow something like 90% of patients in Sweden with rheumatoid arthritis who wind up getting put on a biologic, which makes it a relatively good way to assess questions of real-world data in biologic therapy. Now, for background to this particular investigation, TNF inhibitors are generally recommended for patients who don't respond to methotrexate. There's good data for this, and it's a reasonable thing to do. However, that may not be the most strongly supported evidence-based practice. Just last week, I talked about Select Compare, which actually pitted upadacitinib against adalimumab and showed a significant benefit favoring upadacitinib. So for me, at least, it appears that JAK inhibitors may be a more efficacious drug to start in a patient who doesn't respond to methotrexate. Even before that, we had the ADACTA trial. This was a randomized, double-blind, placebo-controlled phase 4 trial that put adalimumab against tocilizumab, and tocilizumab won. It wasn't a strong win, but across the board, tocilizumab performed better than adalimumab. So at least in randomized controlled trials for those drugs, there's some evidence for skipping TNFs entirely. Now this study is set out to look at that question. What happens to patients who are started on various biologics in real-world data? The real world being Sweden. So I already mentioned that this was based on the Swedish Rheumatology Quality Register. Patients were included from 2010 to 2016. What were inclusion criteria? Well, you needed to be in the Swedish Quality Register with a diagnosis of rheumatoid arthritis, and they have to be starting their first ever biologic therapy. Now, if they'd started a TNF and then were switching within one year, they could also be included. Treatment response was evaluated at three months and at one year, and the main outcome measure was drug survival. I've seen people mess this up before. Drug survival is not overall survival. It's not progression-free survival. Drug survival is when did a doctor decide to change you off of that medication? There's a lot of reasons that that can happen. 
Perhaps it's because the drug stopped working. That's of course what we're hoping is the case. But what if it's because some pharmaceutical rep for some drug company came by and said this drug's better than that one? That doesn't mean that the drug failed necessarily, it just means that the physician decided to switch you and therefore that drug had shorter survival. There's a number of things like that that could happen, perhaps a nice advertisement comes through or an FDA indication, etc., that pushes a physician to start some new medication. Now, I did collect data about why drugs were stopped, but you should remember that survival of therapy is not necessarily mean that the drug stopped working. Now, response measures were good, included the ULAR good response, HACC, DAS28, CDI, and physician global assessments. Like I said, the Swedish are good at this. They had a pretty robust group of covariates. These included age, sex, geographical region, year of treatment, education, history of serious infection, recent, non-recent malignancy, diabetes, COPD, RF, DAS28, hack disability, VAS, etc. Lots of really good things that they could include as covariates. Furthermore, they also did a good job of testing their hypotheses. They did a number of sensitivity analyses, including the time to starting another biologic DMARD as opposed to just the survival of the drug. And then also assigning patients who didn't come back into various different windows, good, poor response, etc. And then finally, they did one year in addition to three year, regardless of what medicine people actually wound up on, to make this kind of an intention to treat cohort, which is an interesting thing to do. Overall, kudos to them for trying to run a robust cohort study. So let's talk about the results. 9,333 patients with rheumatoid arthritis starting their first ever biologic DMARD were included and 3,941 starting a biologic DMARD after TNF were included. Receiving a TNF was the most common as the first biologic DMARD. 83% of patients got one. Switching from a TNF, the most likely thing was another TNF. 65% of patients did that. What's the problem with this? Well, the problem is that the vast majority of patients were started on a TNF. There were reasons that some of those 17% of patients did not begin treatment with a TNF. The truth is that reaching for a TNF is kind of the standard of care. And in most cases, physicians would do that. When would they not do that? The most obvious answer is that a physician didn't think that a patient would respond to a TNF. Which patient would that be? Well, perhaps one who is quite sick. They did see this in the trial. Patients started a TNF compared to a non-TNF were younger, more well-educated, had a lower disease activity, and had less other medical conditions before the treatment start. So the TNF cohort was generally healthier. In particular, the tocilizumab group appeared to have very high disease activity. The authors used this to make an interesting argument, which is that the biases that impact this trial cut against non-TNF biologic DMARDs. That's an interesting idea, but remember that it's not always that straightforward. People who got rituximab were more likely to have seropositive disease. So maybe physicians only gave rituximab to patients who had real deal RA and there was just less fibro, and so patients were more likely to respond. Or, for instance, the patients given tocilizumab were more likely to have high disease scores. Perhaps that also means that you're more likely to regress to the mean, or you're more likely to be taking a whole bunch of NSAIDs or things like that in the near future. Or maybe it means that you just have more room for improvement. Or Similar for the rituximab argument I just made, maybe it means that you're someone who has real deal rheumatoid arthritis and you're just going to respond better to any kind of biologic DMARD. This is all obviously speculation, but when you run a cohort study as opposed to a randomized controlled trial, you need to be acutely aware of these biases. In this case, 
Only 17% of the entire cohort wound up getting non-TNF inhibitors. In addition to the differences we know there were between those 17% and everyone else, there are probably a lot of differences we don't know, and those biases may drive the treatment differences. With that being said, let's talk about the treatment differences. So by one year, 30% of patients had discontinued a TNF inhibitor. Now that seems high to me, and they did find that patients who started with a non-TNF biologic were more likely to stay on therapy. This was strongest in the rituximab group. Now I have a serious problem with this comparison. My problem with this comparison is that we dose rituximab in six month intervals. So within one year, a patient was really only able to get two doses of rituximab. I could easily imagine a doctor saying, hey, let's just give it a little more time. The rituximab's still kicking in. Whereas with something like a Batacept, you could say, hey, you've gotten 40 doses and it hasn't worked. Let's try something new. Overall, I'm very skeptical of using drug survival, comparing two drugs with totally different half-lives and treatment durations. That being said, response characteristics were also better with non-TNF biologics. This was most pronounced in the tocilizumab group for DAS-28. So the TNFs, people who got DAS-28 less than 2.6, 1 in 4. In rituximab, 1 in 4. Abitacept, almost 1 in 3, but basically 1 in 4. Tocilizumab, 1 in 2. That is really impressive. Remember, though, that tocilizumab essentially wipes out your inflammatory markers and the DAS-28 and includes the ESR. But we need to at least consider the possibility that this was related to normalizing inflammatory markers. Thankfully, they also collected the CDI. The CDI does not include inflammatory markers, and patients started on tocilizumab instead of a TNF, rituximab, or abatacept were also better. One in four patients on tocilizumab had CDI normalization, versus 17% in abatacept, 12% rituximab, and 14% in the TNF group. What about the patients who started a TNF and then were flipped to something? Something being another TNF, rituximab, abatacept, or tocilizumab. This was that other inclusion criteria that could get you into the study. There are 3,000 and change people that were in this group. Again, tocilizumab seemed to do better. It did substantially better in the DAS-28 remission, 31% versus 10% for abatacept, 20% for tuximab, and 15% for TNF. And in the CDI that didn't use inflammatory markers, 13% for tocilizumab versus 6% versus 11% versus 7%. Now they did a number of sensitivity analyses. Overall, nothing changed. None of these effects flipped. In the attention to treat analysis, in the intention to treat-esque analysis that they performed, the differences between treatment groups were a little bit smaller. Other than that, though, it was a relatively robust result. How do we bring this together? Well, I thought this was a really interesting paper. I agree with the authors that in general, I think the bias cuts against non-TNF biologics. It's much easier for me to tell a plausible story to that end than it is the other direction. I do think the problem with rituximab's long half-life is a big one. It's hard for me to trust overall drug survival as an outcome in that case. I should note that they did have five years of data and the overall survival for tuximab did persist. Over a longer period of time, they also saw that tocilizumab had higher overall survival than abatacept or TNF. So again, somewhat favored tocilizumab. Most importantly, this isn't our only data point. We do have a randomized controlled trial that showed that tocilizumab was better than TNFs. The design of that trial was a little bit wonky. It was monotherapy without methotrexate background. Why is that a problem? Well, 
you worry about TNF antibodies forming, and I just am a little hesitant to totally trust those results. This paper here is nice corroborating evidence in the real world. It also looks like rituximab performed very well for rheumatoid arthritis. We've long known this, but I don't think many people use rituximab very frequently for RA. I think most people will do a TNF and then another TNF, and then some other non-rituximab biologic, such as abatacept, tocilizumab, or JAK inhibitor. How is this going to change my practice? Well, not a whole lot, but there's a couple things at the margins that I'm thinking about. The first is that I still start everyone on methotrexate. So with all this talk about biological DMARDs, I think most patients with rheumatoid arthritis should begin with methotrexate. Tocilizumab, at least in one trial, appears to be superior to a TNF inhibitor, and this large cohort study generally supports that. Upadacitinib in the recent select compare trial also appears to be superior to a TNF inhibitor. Rituximab, I'm not as sure about. We don't have good head-to-head -head data in a randomized controlled trial, and I don't entirely trust the way this study was designed. Now, say I've already started a patient on a TNF, and they responded well, but then three or four years down the road, they stopped responding as well. I will still think about trying them on another TNF. If it worked once, I think it's worth trying again. Primary failures to a TNF? I'd bump straight to a different mechanism. I don't think it makes sense to try the same mechanism and burn another three to six months if adalimumab or tanercept or whichever TNF you're starting with didn't work from the beginning. What do I start after a TNF? Well, I like a JAK inhibitor, I like tocilizumab, and I think I'm going to bump rituximab into my rotation. It's kind of a nice drug for patients if you think about it. Every six-month administration is pretty user-friendly. Overall, I'm curious to see where the new guidelines go. I think there's mounting evidence that TNF inhibitors are not necessarily the best first start in patients who don't respond to methotrexate. Whether or not any of the new biologics will unseat methotrexate as the first start overall remains to be seen in my opinion. Thank you again for tuning in. Please follow me at ebroom on Twitter and let me know what you think of this episode and others. Please share the podcast with friends and have a great week.